You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. And this is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app. For Locked On to get podcast on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports, I'm Doug Branson. I cover the team for FanRagSports.com. I'm joined by my friend. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for AtTheHive.com. The man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. Doug, you hear me all right this morning? I do. Can you hear me? I think is the question. I do. Okay, good. I think this is this is it. How we are got you? it together, guys. All right. We're here. <laughs> We're live on YouTube.com forward slash Lockdown Hornets. You can join us and chat with us on the nest. Win or lose, we're here for you. What We will – oh, my gosh, people are people are blowing up the chat. This is good. <laughs> people, are, people are ready. We'll read some of your comments here in a moment. We've got a big show. Uh, we, you heard part one of our interview with NBA All-Star, NBA Great, NBA shot blocking specialist Mark Eaton. Uh, You heard part one yesterday, part two today in just a moment. Uh, He gives some thoughts on the All-Star game, how it could become more competitive, and his own experience both uh, playing in an All-Star game and being part of the festivities. That's ahead. Plus, we'll recap uh, another loss by the Charlotte Hornets to the Indiana Pacers. And uh, we will also give you just a few thoughts on the big trade that happened in the NBA yesterday. Blake Griffin going to the Detroit Pistons. Finally, some players from out west moving to the east. Uh, And uh, we will uh, talk about that briefly as well. This show is brought to you by our friends at Knight Residential Group. Visit them online, knightresidentialgroup.com. That's Knight with a K. They are the leaders in new home construction here in Charlotte. You want to check those guys out. NightResidentialGroup.com. All right, let's move to this game against uh, the Indiana Pacers. David, another loss. The Hornets fall to 20 and 29. Final score 105 96. Uh, basically, Kimba, the big three Kimba Walker, Nick Batum, Dwight Howard, all playing well for the Charlotte Hornets. They just couldn't find really any help anywhere else. Dwight Howard, 22 points, 11 rebounds. Nick Batum, 22 points, four rebounds, two assists. And then Kimba Walker, 23 points, four assists, three rebounds. All three of those guys shooting very well. The rest of the team, not so much. What were your thoughts? Another, And this was another game that was close in the fourth quarter as well. Despite the score, uh, this one came down to a few possessions here or there in the fourth. Yeah, typically does. I mean, that's how this goes. Same old story. Um, you did have the production from those main three guys, which is good to see. Uh, but like there was nothing else, as you mentioned. I mean, Batum, Howard, and Kemba were all the production last night, scoring 67 points of the 96 for the Hornets. And uh, with little or no help, when you put that up against what the Pacers were able to bring off the bench with energy and some production from guys like Lance Stevenson, we knew it was going to happen. Um, that you know, they, they just don't have the uh, the firepower to compete with that, which is, I mean, that, that's just basic at this point, Doug. They don't have you know, the bench has really faltered after that four and one, uh, or three and one road trip. Sorry, yeah, uh, between I mean, um, Lamb and um, Kaminsky, Kaminsky yeah, you saw Lamb and Kaminsky players. sort of uh, form this offensive bond. We called them uh, Laminsky, you know, the the sixth man of the year. 
because they were scoring together combined about 27 points a game, and it was really beneficial uh, for this bench unit to finally get some offense going. And, uh, and now you've seen those two guys, both of their shooting, especially from outside, has fallen away. And last night, Frank Kaminsky really just couldn't hit anything. You heard Del Curry say, you know, he just had zero confidence in that shot. And it showed he did he did have a big bucket in the fourth quarter, and that's a, it's an interesting thing about all these games, right? Like Frank Kaminsky struggles the entire game, has a big bucket in the fourth quarter, and then you have Nick Batum who shot really well in the first half, five of nine from the field, three of five from three, and then in the fourth quarter he has two opportunities to get the Hornets back in it offensively, and both of his three pointers go bagging. So it's it's yeah. the seesaw, it's the teeter totter of this team offensively. I just can't get anything going. And then defensively, David, you knew coming in that the Pacers were were good in transition. Uh, uh, Victor Oladipo, all-star, Darren Collison, both like to get up and down, get get to the rim very quickly. The Hornets did not do a great job. 22 22 fast break points for the Indiana Pacers. And then there was a lot of talk in this game about guarding them at the three-point line, forcing them down into the mid-range. They did that in the first half. The problem was Indiana was just really good uh, from mid-range. And, you know, they, they did that sort of token Charlotte Hornets drop coverage. You you had Dwight Howard sinking down into the paint, guarding the paint, not stepping up to defend uh, Victor Oladipo and Darren Collison in the first half. Before he ran into halftime, he said, we've got to switch up the coverages they did that, and and you saw Dwight Howard be more aggressive on those pick and roll plays. Whether it was you know Sabonis and Depot, or Sabonis and Collison, or or Turner and Collison, and he was more aggressive mm-hmm. with those, and it led to three point opportunities for Miles Turner or opportunities at the rim for Sabonis. So the Hornets defensively were in a little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't, and just trying to force Indiana into situations that they might be uncomfortable with did hold them to 105. That's not terrible, uh, but what did you think defensively? Uh, what did you think went right and what went wrong for the Hornets defensively in this game? Well, yeah, I mean, you hit it. When they play on a team that can do more than one thing, right? Like they take one thing away. And that team can either drive or dish it out to other people, or they're able to hit that mid-range shot, which they were last night. Which, like, if you're playing Oladipo, I mean, he's been awesome this year. And in years past, you just wanted him to – you probably wanted him to take that shot, right? Like, you didn't want him going to the basket, but now he's developed into such a, a more round, well-rounded player and is playing well in Indiana. Um, but the Hornets are going to have that struggle with those guys. It seems like – you know, the starting five does so well offensively, right? And defensive defense is the calling card for this team. But there's still these areas where uh, the, well, the – Well, the starting unit plays well offensively, but they're limited in that they really have to derive a lot of their points from getting to the line and, and then second mm-hmm. chance points with Dwight Howard. They're still really – they're not really shooting the ball very well from outside as a unit – uh, but they're right. just working really, really hard uh, to develop offense where there, you know, generally isn't that easy offense. And then, and you saw in the fourth quarter, I think, in this game where Indiana 
they they turned up the defense, the one-on-one defense, and there was a lot of post-denial action trying to get the ball away from Kimball Walker and away from Dwight Howard and force guys like MKG, Marvin Williams, and Nick Batum to make plays against really tight one-on-one defense. Again, props to Collison, props to Lance Stevenson, props to Victor Oladipo blocking Dwight Howard. I mean, this was a good game by a good Indiana Pacers team and, and the Hornets. See, there's two the, – the problem with with – working to criticize the Hornets is there are two different issues that are working simultaneously, right? The bench is not playing well right now and the the, the Hornets can't develop easy fourth quarter offense even when their starters come in. So it's tough. You like you can't blame it all on the bench, and you can't blame it all on the starters. This is a team-wide issue in terms of developing offense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a team. It's a team issue. It's larger than one person. It's larger than one player. I mean, everyone deserves to be looked at right now because, uh, you know, including the the bench, everyone's getting called out right now because nothing's going right. That's kind of been the story of the whole game. But look at like uh, like they have a guy like Miles Turner who steps out and hits threes for them for Indiana. So he's a matchup problem. It just seems like the Hornets have these guys every night that at least one or two of the other teams is going to have a good uh, a good matchup. And it's typically like more athletic guys. I feel like they're the guys that are able to play more than one position. And the Hornets, as we've talked about, just don't have a ton of guys able to guard multiple positions and then hit shots, certainly not, not on down the bench. Over the last 10 games, the Hornets are shooting 25% from the three in the fourth quarter. That's 29th in the league. They are also 29th in assists in the fourth quarter. Indiana provided a pretty clear juxtaposition in my mind as they got they were getting multiple pick and rolls and multiple passes high to low to find open layups or open shots from three that that they simply knocked down and the and the Hornets did not. I mean that's that's really what it comes down to and the question is uh, how do you fix it? And, and I don't know that there's a simple answer to that question. I, I think they're still trying to figure out uh, how to best mix and match some of the starters with with that second unit. Play, like, they tried to play the full second unit again last night. It didn't work. Uh, they they struggled to close both the first quarter and the third quarter. Could not get anything going offensively or defensively. And uh, and then you had a lot of again. Yeah, what I don't understand is when you when you criticize Dwight Howard for not stepping up on defense in the first half when when he's playing the coverage that he's given. Like they they want him to drop back and defend the rim and force go over the screen. You know, Kemba goes over the screen, MKG will go over the screen, and you force them to take mid-range shots, and then they make them. The second half, they made the adjustment defensively, so he's more aggressive, and then the Pacers hit their shots. Like, again, he's doing the things that he's being asked to do and getting criticized for it. I don't understand it. It's kind of weird. I mean, it's crazy because – all the stuff that he's brought to the table this year and he's individually, he's played well, that clearly has not been, uh, has not washed out in team wins, right? Like that's the big problem. Um, and he's got his faults and you can look at the stats advanced or not. Um, you know, there's issues with his game that have always been there and, and are probably always going to be issues, but he's bringing enough. I think he's affecting the game in a positive way uh, and not being a detriment <clears throat> the entire time. And, and you're right. Like, um, I, I just think that the whole team is almost in a you're damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Like you said, like, like uh, w- first of all, what's the other option? Because <laughs> Cody Zeller's hurt. 
You've got Johnny O'Brien. You can't play Frank in that position. So, like, what do you want to happen? That, yeah, I think – I think. Would you with, rather have the Plumley in there? Right. I think with – there's a couple of things going on, right, with the criticisms of Dwight Howard. I think there's a lack of context, a lack of understanding, like – that Miles Plumley would not have solved any of the issues that they they would have had this season, and and Cody Zeller has missed twenty plus games three out of the last four seasons. That was a pro- that was the problem last season. They had a lack of depth in the front court, and so they trade Plumley away, try to address that the best they can, but because that's you know their options seemingly are always limited as to what they do because. They they panic and make these moves like trading for Miles Plumley that puts them in these situations. Okay, but that's not okay, that's not on Dwight Howard. That's on the front office. Uh, but when you when you look right. at again when you look at the on off stats, David, the Hornets are plus nine point four points per possession with Dwight Howard on the floor versus him off the floor. Expected wins plus twenty four. When you compare that to last season with Atlanta. Atlanta was minus three points per possession with him on the floor and minus nine expected wins. So that was a fair criticism of him last year in Atlanta. He didn't make that team better. And and I'm sure that's a complex issue that had a variety of issues going on. But the fact is, the Hornets are plus 4.8 points per possession on offense and minus 4.6 points per possession on defense. They're a better defensive team and a better offensive team. And he's not just playing with the starters. It's not just oh well he's he shares the floor with Kemba. No, they played him. Yeah. They play him with the bench. They mix in you know Kaminsky and Lamb with Dwight Howard to try to get some different looks, and he makes this team better defensively, uh, both with his 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 shot blocking and just his general you know rim protection, being in the rim, forcing drives away from the basket. Um, you know, it's not perfect. I get that. Like right. his his right. Uh, his. Uh, his uh, post play is not perfect, um, but at the same time, again, I, I think some context is necessary to understand that uh, th- that uh, th- this team plays better when he's on the floor. And I don't, I don't know what I don't know much. It's it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me to see some of some of the not again the criticism. There's there's certain criticism that's fair, but to say this team is not winning because of Dwight Howard or that he isn't a winning player is just it's just weird to me because I he's giving the effort that you would want from a player of his caliber. Like he's he's getting right second now, yeah. chance points. He's hitting the boards hard. Like he's doing the things that have made him a successful player. And you know, the, the, but it's not his fault. The Hornets don't have anything on the bench, and they have no shooting around him either. Right? Like I think a lot of these. Ugly things would be covered up if they had any shooting consistent consistently around them. That's what was was successful in Orlando. That's you know the the, the prescription that the, everyone was hoping they could maybe reform here, uh, but it's just not working for a variety of reasons across the board on the team. I mean, my gosh, even when people will say it's all on Nick Batum or it's all on Clifford or it's all on Ch- like. A lot of things came together for this to not be working. And Kimball Walker is literally the only bright spot. <laughs> I mean, as you look at it, you know, a solid, solid bright spot. I think I think most people looking at Dwight say were are surprised that he it wasn't a repeat of Atlanta. Because I think a lot of that was a carryover. And and the, I think everyone involved in that situation obviously had 
Um, I think if you if you want to if you want to hate Dwight Howard, if you want to be if you don't want to be pleased with Dwight Howard, however you want to frame your your feelings toward Dwight Howard, it's easy him. it's easy to have that agenda. Yeah. It's easy. There, there are there are all kinds of advanced stats for you to look at, and you can and you can look at his post offense. Which, again, his the the amount of times that he actually posts up and backs down is is relatively small to the amount of times that they're just getting him post offense. And so, but but listen, if if you want to do it, it's very easy. But if you if you mm-hmm. want to have some context, if you want to look at the entire game, if you want to say, wait a minute, I, I don't think that Dwight Howard is the problem. I think that's it's it's a little tougher to do that, but it's it's possible. So anyway, I want to take a quick second to tell you about Knight Residential Group. They are an all-inclusive residential construction company right here in Charlotte that specializes in high-end custom construction. Brilliant interior renovations, immaculate custom-built homes. If it can be built, then Knight Residential Group can have it done for you. They have a combined 165 years of construction experience. Knight Residential Group believes in doing projects with meticulous detail using the highest standards. Use Knight Residential Group and you can be sure that you'll have a pleasant customer experience and a beautiful home. Don't trust your next custom home project to any construction company. Use the experts that we trust and that support this beautiful local Hornets talk that you listen to every day, call them at 704-733-9566 or visit nightresidentialgroup.com. That's Knight with a K. Join so many other current homeowners and allow Knight Residential Group to provide you with your forever home. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Think about that. If they won 15 games, if they won 15-0, they'd be a lot better. <laughs> right? Wait, hold on. Breaking news. Yeah. Breaking Just news. Hold that soundbite. You know I wasn't about to try to do some math. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. A lot of comments on the chat. Uh, I'm going to pick yeah. this one. I'm going to pick this one. From Rich saying, hey, Doug, and I'm going to include you, David, here because you you helped me with this pick for sure. Remember your mock draft where you got the I backup? I think about it every night, Rich. I think about it every night. Where where you got the backup point guard and took John Collins. Fancy a GM job? I'll do, <laughs> we'll, we'll do some horn tooting there. I like that. Yeah, the Corey Joseph. We traded, uh, we traded for Corey Joseph and picked up John Collins, what, 21st in the draft? Yeah, it wasn't perfect. We did ship out Lamb, who's having a career year. And we yeah, that's tough. Bell, Listen, you, ta- you, you was, take the good, uh, you take the bad, you try <laughs> to balance these things out, you try to make these predictions. Sometimes, they, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but I, I think we took a pretty good haul well, our thinking, Our thinking behind that was if you ship out Marco, you lose all the shooting. Our, out, thinking, no, our thinking behind that, David, is also, that— Also, you don't have any point guards. <laughs> right. Our thinking behind that is that you can't go two seasons— Without a legitimate offensive option behind Kimba Walker, it's bold. It's a bold move, Cotton. And again, I mean, MCW made so it's it's all about it's all about sustained improvements, and that's what the Hornets cannot seem to get out of some of their bench players. It's it's yeah. improvement for a little bit, and then you saw you know MCW. Um, miss a few open three-point shots. Frank Kaminsky. What about these threes? Three-point shots. He's shooting a lot. He's shooting a lot of threes these days. Know. I mean, they're there. Um, that's about all I have to say. I don't know. Well, one quick thing on that draft pick, Doug, because I always I, I do 
kind of think about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should have just taken Donovan Mitchell, right? <laughs> you think about it. Sub- <laughs> where do you think about this? When do you think about this? Every time there's a sub substitution. <laughs> oh. Yesterday, we played part one of our interview with NBA great Mark Eaton, the seven foot four center who dominated the paint for the Utah Jazz in the late 80s and early 90s. He was a Western Conference All Star in 1989. And in part two of our conversation, uh, we discuss the current changes to the All-Star game and his own experience. Take a listen. Uh, let's talk about the All-Star game because you, you played in one. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of talk about try, you know, Chris Paul is uh, a big into trying to bring some more competitiveness back into the All-Star game because I think it's, it's unquestionably become uh, sort of a, a farce. And, and a lot of people started talking about maybe why are we even doing this if they're not going to compete? Mm-hmm. So they do this all-star draft. They don't televise it for whatever reason, uh, but they're trying to find ways to infuse some competitiveness. Is that your take on it? Was it more competitive when you when you played? I think that's a good move. And, and actually answer this question a couple of days ago on, on Sirius um, XM with the, and their NBA show with Eddie Johnson. Um, because uh, when when we played in the year I played in the All-Star game, it was competitive. I mean, Pat Riley was our coach. We had a game plan. We had plays. We actually had a couple practices beforehand. And even though the game itself became kind of summer league, you know, with the guys and MJ and everybody throwing stuff up off the glass and and dunking it, there's always a little bit of that showmanship going on. I think the last few years that's become become worse than than summer league. And uh, it's just jog up the court and let's see who can bounce it off the backboard and slam it. So – if it brings more competitiveness to it, I, th- I think it's a good thing because I, I think it's time for, for a change. Well, was so where do you think the competitiveness – because this is what I'm curious about. Why do you think that those games back then were more competitive? Was it a, a – would you think that there was more competitive spirit? Do you think that there was a pride in the product? Like, hey, we're putting on a show here. Uh, and and maybe players today now are more you know just worried about sort of their own self like they got to keep my body you know don't want to get injured more about you know making sure they look good uh, yeah I think there was a little more competitiveness back there I think there were some rivalries on the floor between yeah. some of the players from the Eastern and Western Conference I think that was part of it especially guys that had played against each other in the finals. Uh, and secondly, we wanted to win. I mean, you made more money if you won. I mean, I remember like after the game, they handed me a check for five grand, and uh, I said, "Thank you." Name uh, <laughs> me at the Sizzler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, it, it was. Uh, it was. It was more competitive. We wanted to win. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if that's quite the case in the, the game today. I mean, the guys obviously make substantially more money than, than the guys that played in the 80s and 90s. I don't know if that's part of it or, yeah, or they just think it's like they just have that, how they grow up playing AAU ball yeah, or whatever it is. It's right. like that was just more of a let's just put on a show and we're going to have some fun. I'll throw you the ball. You throw me the ball. Uh, and so it's a little more uh, laissez-faire. I don't know. There's not really um, competitive rivalries anymore. You know, all these guys grew up together playing. They're the best. Well, there is the- between the players and the referees. I think that's what we should do: all star game, players versus referees. We'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see a lot. Well, of we had the Dick Nevetta <laughs> and uh, Charles Barkley foot race. That's true. Years back, hey, Mark, you were uh, you were involved in a in a recent all star game. Uh, you were part of the dunk contest, and I was watching some video of Jeremy Evans. He he he, he kind of dunked over you, right? Because he they, they brought the box out and you had to sit on the box. Did 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 that happen? You go, you really you're gonna make me sit on this box? <laughs> yeah, he, well, and that just that was a very impromptu thing. He called me actually his I don't know handler agent somebody called me at the hotel earlier in the day and said, hey, we want to use you in the dunk contest tonight. 
And I said, okay, you know, what do you want to do? And they, and I went over to this gym where they were hanging out and he started talking about, uh, had me sitting on the box and holding the ball up and then him grabbing it off of my hand and then, and reverse dunking it. And I said, well, that sounds like great. I said, let's practice a couple. And he's like, no, no, no. Jeremy wants to save his legs. I'm like, that's a mistake. I said, you need to practice this at least once. And he didn't do it. And, and subsequently he missed his first dunk, which I think at that time he was like second in the standings. Uh, and I think it, it might've cost him the contest. So, oh, wow. uh, I'm like one, you know, like you're a young guy. I mean, at that time he was like 22 years old or something. I'm like, come on, you can practice a couple of dunks now and still be able to do it later tonight. Save the uh, legs. Yeah. So, but it's fun. Cause we played it up, we played it up on TV. Like, you know, I was just sitting in the front row, actually sitting next to Daryl Dawkins in his bright red suit. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and Jeremy was like, I'm going to grab somebody from the audience and he just like, so, uh, seemingly pick me at random to come out there and sit there. And so Classic. it was, it was a lot of fun and it blew up on Twitter and you know, we had a great time with it. I was going to uh, say if nothing else, he, he should have practiced, he should have practiced, <laughs> but it's, it's a very memorable dunk contest moment. One of the most re- uh, memorable in recent memory, maybe because uh, we, I feel like the general public hadn't seen you in a while. So it was good to see yeah, you. Good. Twitter like, hey, loves I'm you. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter loves you. I think you should get out there more and get get, get involved because uh, the fans miss you. Should rent myself out some of the other players. Well, listen, well, yeah, listen. If you're going to be a prop, you know, like. What, prop for sale. Yeah. Be like a fee. You can try to dunk over me. I think this is what they should do in the dunk contest is have guys blocking the shots. There's nothing cooler. than And if they get blocked, that's great, too. That looks awesome. It should be shot blockers versus dunkers. Yeah, it's kind of like a penalty kick in soccer, right? Yeah. And, and the All-Star <laughs> the Game is... exciting play. Well, the All-Star Game's coming back uh, to Charlotte next year. Uh, maybe you can pitch that to MJ. Say, hey, listen, let's uh, let's get some yeah. All-Star well, changes. Yeah, like, bring Mark, like bring he Mar- makes the decision, listen, yeah. We know, yeah, yeah. We, we know Mark Eaton. We can if make he's at the game tonight, tonight, I'll talk to him about it. <laughs> yeah. Mark, we appreciate you coming in. This yeah, was thanks, a, a fantastic interview, and we'd love to talk to you again soon. All right, thanks, guys. All right, appreciate thanks, it. Mark. Okay. Thanks again to Mark Eaton uh, for joining us. You can pre-order his book, The Four Commitments of a Winning Team, right now on Amazon.com. Check it out. David, he brings up an interesting point there about money being a major motivator to all-star competitiveness. At least it was back in his era. He said that a day before the news hit that the winners of this year's all-star game would receive one hundred grand each. The NBA trying to add that extra incentive to guys that make top dollar every year. Do you think it will work? I don't know. I'm so skeptical. It's just <laughs> feels like the overall, you know, feeling around this game has more to do with what you guys were talking about, Doug. What you mentioned, just like there's the rivalries aren't there. The competitiveness in this game has been gone for so long. It'll be interesting because. That $100,000, I think the losers are making $25,000. So it's a $75,000 difference. I did that quick math um, while you were while you were talking. Beep, boop, boop. And it will see. I mean, it, it's a good effort. But I think it'll probably do more than mixing up the teams with East and West. Um, but 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 have both of them happening this year, you know, we'll, we'll see. The rivalries are what you want to see. I mean, and then it's just like if it's not LeBron and – the Warriors or, or, I don't know, the players and the rest, like you mentioned. Like, where are they right now? All right, we've got uh, some people asking on the chat about Marvin Williams. He did suffer uh, what looked like a really nasty ankle turn at the end of this basketball game on a turnover that led to a Lance Stevenson dunk that really sealed the game. Uh, Marvin Williams having to be helped off the court by two Hornets players slowly uh, making his way back to the back. Uh, Steve Clifford, after the game, saying it was a low ankle sprain. 
uh, that uh, that there was no fracture. So that's absolutely good news. And that they would have to see, you know, how the ankle responded basically today, see how much swelling there is, see how much pain there is. Everyone sort of reacts to these ankle sprains differently. But had it been a fracture, then you're talking possibly the the season. Uh, So uh, it it wasn't that. Uh, It was an ankle sprain. So we'll get more word on that today. Certainly possible that he could miss a few games, maybe even maybe even a week or two. Uh, but we'll have to get more information about that. And it certainly would be, you know, his his three point shooting has dropped off a little bit over the past few games. But he has been one of their uh, one of their few weapons from outside. So it would it would certainly yeah. be a, a, um, a loss for him for the for the team if Marvin isn't able to make it back for a few games. And that would mean you'd see Frank Kaminsky inserted into the starting lineup and then probably Johnny O'Brien taking uh, taking a few more minutes for the team as well. Uh, A few thoughts, David, on this Blake Griffin trade. The Pistons getting Blake Griffin, the Clippers getting Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban, first-round pick, second-round pick. You You like this deal for the Pistons? You like this deal for the Clippers? You know, I don't love it. On either side, um, I think from the Pistons standpoint, it's kind of weird how closely they resemble the Hornets on several fronts with Van Gundy and the Clifford connection. But they're obviously want to win now, I, I think. I mean, they're trying to acquire they've lost a guy. It, yeah, they've lost eight in a row. They, they've slid out of playoff contention after being there for so long. And, and, look, and they looked good at the beginning of the season, but things kind of fell apart. Avery Bradley never really mm-hmm. worked out for them. Yeah, and, and they're they're acquiring a guy that otherwise probably wouldn't have a chance to get, right? I mean, that Blake contract is huge. Mm-hmm. That's why the Clippers were trying to move off of it. But they gave up Tobias Harris, like you mentioned, and Bradley. I mean, it seems like they gave and, – and a couple picks, right? A first and a second-round pick, yeah. I believe. It was a lot to give up for so, Blake Griffin, and it's going to I mean, it's going to hurt. I, I, guess, I mean, look, he's shooting more three-pointers. He's shooting them better than he has his entire career. Uh, but at the same time, you're putting him next to Andre Drummond, so I think it's going to affect their spacing a little bit, especially when you do look. Avery Bradley hasn't shot the three well, um, but he is a threat from out there. Tobias Harris has; he's a threat. He helps your spacing, uh, so you you've eliminated a little bit of your shooting and traded it for Blake Griffin. So we'll have to see how that works out for Van Gundy and the crew. And then Clippers, look, they're trying to. You know they're trying to clean house. They're trying to. They say they want to stay competitive, but they are definitely looking <laughs> yeah, to. No, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I don't get that because then immediately <laughs> the rumors come out about DeAndre Jordan. You want to move him. Right. You want to move uh, basically uh, anyone Luke. that you can get off this this roster at this point to try to essentially reset or maybe even. I, th- I think it's ridiculous that they would be setting up to try to compete for LeBron. I don't think LeBron I, that, James. That's a, that, that was wild too. I heard Kroger, I heard Chris Kroger, friend of the show, say that uh, last night. Um, I guess. I mean, I guess. I don't know. You know. But from for their I don't think return, that's the L. They heard L. A. They were like, "Wait, LeBron wants to come to L. A. We live. We live here. We're here we in L. A. <laughs> <laughs> um, we use the building. There it is. Uh, but 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 they're real quick on their return, Doug. It, it seems like a lot, and it is a lot coming back. But I believe Harris has one more year. Like those contracts are either expiring, is Bradley after this year, and the Harris is after next year, maybe. And then you really got one first round pick, and there's some protections around that. So, like, they're not building for the future with those pieces. No. It doesn't feel like, unless they're going to try and keep Harris and Bradley, in which case, 
you know, the fact that they're expiring doesn't do you any good. Not that the Hornets really had a chance here, David, but did they did they have a package better than Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban, first round, second round? Did they have a, a package that Boban. would be more? Yeah, Boban was in there too. Through, that really that set it over the well, top. I mean, Tobias Harris is fascinating to me. He was he he was in the All Star conversation for so long up at the beginning of the season, but he's a guy that continues to move around and just um, can't really cement himself at, at that star at that star level. Well, because there are but, players there are players that play well enough to be attractive trade pieces, but not well yeah. enough to be untouchable. And he falls sort of neatly in that cat the Mo Williams Lou Lou Williams. Mm-hmm. kind of category where it's a guy it's like man he just does so much for our team but at the same time uh we can we can really unload some salary if we pair we him can, he looks good <laughs> well that the, and so those two salaries are expiring and and none of the hornets you know when they looked at trading those pieces that they were trying to get rid of i mean the deals and the length of those deals were a negative factor in those right so from that standpoint they couldn't really have offered up much of the same and i don't think they wanted to give up even a protected first round pick coming up because they got to keep adding players. So as crazy as it sounds, I don't, I mean, I don't think they did have something as attractive as, as that. Do you? I don't Not, think they no. didn't include, they didn't include Kimball Walker. No, I don't think so. Because again, uh, the Clippers are are trying to do a little bit of a reset themselves. So they're not going to want to take on players that are underperforming their contract and right. have extended years on their deal. Uh, Avery Bra- Avery Bradley is underperforming, but at the same time, like they can get him off the books pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Or if if he reunites with Doc and and finds his stroke again, th- and they do want to stay competitive and think they can make waves in free agency, then they can maneuver to try to keep Bradley. But the Hornets don't they just don't have that player on their roster. That's what makes this. It's going to be interesting the trade deadline at this point because I don't think that the Hornets really have a move. See how I want to word this. Like they, they, don't they don't have, have a partner. They don't have a partner, but they don't have a move that would make them significantly deeper without having to sacrifice major future assets. And then at this point, they're nine games back of five hundred. They're what five and a half, six games back of the eighth position in the East. Would you really want to mortgage the future of the organization? And maybe, maybe the answer to that is yes. If you're the Hornets, because you've got uh, Rich Cho as as general manager, uh, wanting, uh, you know, he's he's on the last year of his deal. You saw uh, Stan Van Gundy from the Pistons. He's the general manager and the the coach, and right. and he brings in Blake Griffin. You know, whatever spacing be damned, um, you know, fit be damned. They brought in a good player to try to get their playoff hopes uh, alive. So maybe the Hornets decide to do the same thing. Uh, this could be it. It could be wild. I mean, deals that you know, things that they were maybe that they weren't looking to give up early in this trade season suddenly become available. Suddenly, the a future first round pick becomes available. Who knows? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. February eighth, the trade deadline for oh. the Charlotte Hornets to make some kind of move because I I don't think that Cody Zeller's return is going to significantly change the the outlook of this basketball right. team. It's ability no. to score in the fourth quarter. It's ability to shoot from outside. Cody Zeller's return doesn't fix any of that. 
Yeah. The the one move that you would think would be doable because it's not a massive move, but on this team, it could have a big impact. And this is another one Kroger mentioned last night, actually, was trying to bring in an upgrade of the backup point guard position. Sure. And one guy he mentioned was Ricky Rubio, but that contract is is larger. And I think it's for like the next, another three years, it's like 55. So it's like, how do you make that work? Um, and, and what would the Jazz want to get back from you? to do that. Like it's going to be tough to make those numbers line up. So that's yeah, what the Hornets this, find the, themselves, right? Exactly. With the, what, is the organization willing to threaten to pay the tax, not knowing what just, the number is going to be next season, what the cap number is going to be next season, just to have a chance at moving back into the playoff conversation. It's not a guarantee. Whatever they do is right. not a guarantee. Right. Or do they just and, hold, or they, they just hold Pat, and say, okay, we're going to try to – we'll use our first-round pick next season. We'll try to regroup, and you'll have an offseason with with Dwight and Nick and Kemba all together to figure some things out. Perhaps a new front office. I mean, and, and you right. never know what can happen around the draft and in the offseason. It just feels like riding it out at least till that point makes more sense at this point if you're looking to maximize your return or even set yourself up – to be in a better position moving forward. It just, it just, it feels like at this point you may be, you may be forcing it, but we'll see. All right. Thanks to get, everyone. Get your notifications turned on dog. Get your, get your Woj notifications and your sham. Alrighty. Sham bombs. My, my battery, my phone battery is charged. I'm ready. <laughs> We're ready to cover this here on locked on Hornets. So make sure you are uh, following us on Twitter and Instagram at locked on Hornets, facebook.com forward slash Locked On Hornets, thanks so much for listening to this edition of the show here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And uh, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever you use to get your podcast. Just search for Locked On Hornets. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts uh, to Twitter. And uh, we're back again tomorrow with more on, on this team and a preview of tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. In Atlanta, another opportunity for the Hornets to get a win over a substandard team. Try to Come build- up for you, Hawks. Trying to build some momentum. Let's just have 17 more games against the Atlanta Hawks. That'll help. That's, I mean, it will help. I it, mean. Will, it will help. Uh, for David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.